Well, after Pastor Dave's prayer there and Pastor Jason's welcome, I am feeling fed. And so, in many ways, it's good to be together as we now sit under God's Word. If you don't know, my name is Stephen Lee, and I'm the lead pastor of the North Campus of Bethlehem Baptist Church. And it's unusual for us to gather in this way, but I pray that this unideal gathering would help us in a few different ways. It would remind us that the church is not a building, but a people gathered and scattered for Christ's glory. Secondly, that it would cultivate in us a greater hunger and longing when we are together again. Oh, how we'll sing on that day. And we don't know when that will be, but that we would hunger and long to gather together again. And then this morning, I want to reorient our hearts from our earthly anxieties to heavenly realities. So would you join me as we now go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are an unchanging God, great in your sovereignty, great in your power, great in your steadfast love and tender mercy towards your people. We thank you, as Pastor Jason said already, that there is so much that cannot be canceled. The crucifixion cannot be canceled. The cross cannot be canceled. Your resurrection cannot be canceled. And your ruling and reigning from on high right now cannot be canceled. So we pray that you would speak through your word this morning by the power of your indwelling spirit. Though we are scattered, we are united in one God and Father, one Lord and Savior, one spirit and one body. So we're asking that you would do far more than we can ask or imagine for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, Pastor Dave helped us to see that the church is not a spectator sport, but that every member is to get into the game and be engaged in building one another up. And this is part of our 2020 vision series where we're talking about the nature of the church. And this morning, what I want to do is bring sort of a one-two punch in calling for the church to be engaged in the mission of God. And this is particularly timely in the midst of global pandemic. What is the church supposed to do? How are we supposed to live in times such as this? We're living in a world that is changing rapidly, evolving very quickly, constantly shifting. Things are in flux. It seems all the more fitting to preface every statement with, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we'll make plans. If the Lord wills, we'll gather again. If the Lord wills, I'll see you later. And yet in the midst of these times, we need to be reminded that we have an unchanging Savior. We have a steadfast and faithful God. Jesus still sits on the throne, ruling and reigning. Romans 8.28 didn't disappear from our Bibles this week. God still rules and reigns. And so as we come now to his word, I pray that we would see the truth that God is in control and he's calling his church to minister in days such as this. 
There can be a great temptation in the midst of a global pandemic to think that we ought to hit the pause button on life. That let's just take a break, let's just relax, let's just hunker down and get going in a few months. And yet, throughout the pages of Scripture and throughout history, it's been shown that when things got rough, when things got bad, the people of God got going. And so what might God be pleased to do through his people to build up the church in days such as this and to shine forth the love of Christ to a watching world? My main point this morning as we look at Ephesians is this, that Jesus is leading his church by giving her leaders to equip the saints to minister to one another in order to increasingly look like Jesus. And my plan this morning is to walk through our passage from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and then to put that into application for us this morning. And my aim is to help us to respond with faith and not fear to all the circumstances around us. In the midst of a global pandemic, we want to respond with faith and not fear. So, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Ephesians, you can sort of summarize it in the following way. Chapters 1 through 3 is Paul writing to the Ephesians, trying to tell them who is God, what has he done in salvation, and now who are we in light of those realities. It's the indicative of the Christian life. And then chapters 4 through 6, he turns now to the church and says, this is how we ought to walk. He gives imperatives there. This is how we're supposed to live in light of what Christ has done. And in our particular section, chapter 4, 11 through 16, he's looking at the nature and design of the church. How's the church supposed to live in times such as this? And I've outlined it with three points. First, we see Christ's gift in verse 11. Christ's purpose in verse 12, and then Christ's aim in verses 13 through 16. Now, first look with me at chapter 4, verse 7. I want to rewind a little bit as we look at the gift. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. As we look, this is very this is kind of in step with what Pastor Dave talked about last week, that the Holy Spirit has given every single believer gifts that might be used for the disposal of the church. And here we read that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. They should remind us that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is in control. He's ruling and reigning, and he's given the church gifts that would be put at the disposal of the body. And these were given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So this grace is not given haphazardly, but it's given sovereignly and wisely and according to Christ's design for the good of the church. Now look with me at verse 11, where he says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not only did he give broadly to gifts to every single member, but he's given specific tailored gifts to those that might lead. So apostles, prophets, evangelists. 
so that they would establish the local churches, give it doctrinal faithfulness, applying and proclaiming God's word. And that leads us to the purpose. So first we see the gift. God has given gifts broadly to every single member, specifically to some that they might equip the saints for the work of ministry. That gets us to our purpose. The key is not mainly distinction, the distinction between leaders and laity, from elders and congregants, but rather the purpose. What did God give leaders for? He gave leaders so that they would be able to equip the individuals for the work of ministry, that they would equip the saints for the work of ministry. In much of our 2020 series, this is the burden of so many of the pastors. We want to be able to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What does it look like, especially in these times, for us to equip the saints for the work of ministry? And how do we do that in preaching and teaching and even when we're scattered? And so it's not as though 20% is doing 80% of the work, but that it's some equipping the all to do 100% of the work. That's what we want to begin to see increasingly. This is why your pastors are so eager to preach and teach and minister God's word and to shepherd in our current context. But this leads us to the question of what type of upbuilding Paul has in view here. He says that we might build up the body of Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, Ephesians 11 through 16 functions as one long sentence in the Greek. And so in verses 13 through 16, we find the three main aims of why God has given gifts in particular to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Believers, there's three aims. Believers are to have a greater knowledge of Christ. Secondly, believers are to have a greater discernment of error. And believers are to increasingly resemble Christ. We'll see that in verses 13, 14, and then 15 and 16. So look with me first at verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So if you'll notice with me in verse 13, there's three prepositional phrases that are all interrelated to maturity and growing in the knowledge of of Jesus Christ. It says, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of Man, to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And these aren't three separate ideas, but this is one holistic idea of growing in knowledge, increasing in our understanding of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that we would grow in understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why God has given gifts to the church and given some to equip the saints so that we would increasingly know the deep truths about Jesus Christ. And what the reason he uses three interrelated prepositional phrases, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, is he doesn't want just head knowledge. He doesn't want us to grow big with knowledge, but without growth in maturity, without growth into Christ-likeness. It's a little bit like the TV show that was on when I was a kid. It was called Doogie Hauser. And it was about a kid genius. He was probably homeschooled. And he was maybe 12 when he graduated medical school. And so he functioned as a doctor in a hospital. 
Though he had the intellectual knowledge to take all the tests and to pass all the exams, he probably didn't have the full maturity to operate as a doctor. And that's a little bit like what we see here. What Paul is writing to the Ephesians is, I want you not just to grow in knowledge, but I want you to grow in maturity. I want you to grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want you to grow fully, holistically, so that you look more and more like Jesus. We want to have a greater knowledge of Christ. And I think this is so important for us in these days as the body of Christ scattered about. We want to behold God's glory so that we're increasingly looking more and more like Jesus. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 3.18. So we're unlike Moses who had a veil over his face, but we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And so this transformation takes place as we behold the glory of Jesus Christ. And so in these days, we don't want to just put pause on our Christian life, but I would exhort you to look more fully into the work and person of Jesus Christ in his word so that we would increasingly grow and mature and help each other in that. This is a holistic maturity that Paul has in view. Let's not waste our self-isolation. Use this time to encourage one another and to develop new rhythms of reading your Bible and prayer. Oh, that we would finish our Bibles in quarantine so that we would increasingly resemble Christ more and more. Fear will feast on your self-isolation unless you feed your soul with God's Word. Fear will feast on your self-isolation unless you feed your soul with God's Word. And that's what we want to do together as the body, though we might not do it in person. Our goal remains that in the church, the church in wartime and peacetime, in times of good and plenty, in times of trial and suffering, the church remains the same. Our mission remains the same. We're to increasingly grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're to increasingly become more and more like Jesus. So that's why God's given us gifts. He's given the church broad gifts, and he's given leaders Ability to equip the saints so that we would all engage in this work in days such as this. Now look with me at the second aim in verse 14. It says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So a second aim that Paul has in view as the church builds up one another, is that we would not be deceived. We would not be naive and immature like children. Instead, we would be mature. We don't want to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It's a little bit like a child being thrown about in the waves. I remember once I was, I think, at a Costco, and I saw a grandfather and a little girl, maybe two or three, and he goes like this and says, I took your nose. And this little girl, two or three, begins to cry hysterically, I want my nose back. And we all laugh because we know that this child is naive and immature. 
Grandpa didn't take her nose, and yet she thought he did. And that's a little bit like what Paul is saying. Beware of being naive, of human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's a little bit like when I lived in college. We lived just outside of San Diego County near the beach, and there was rip currents that we always had to be aware of. When you'd go out boogie boarding or surfing, there were rip currents that would carry you further and further away from the shore. And you couldn't swim against them because they were too strong. You would tire yourself out, and then you would eventually drown. What you had to do, and these rip currents couldn't be seen. They were just beneath the surface. They would carry you further and further away from shore. What you had to do is you had to swim parallel to the beach, perpendicular to the rip current, until you were out of it, and then you could swim all the way back. And I think, in a way, this illustrates what Paul is getting at for the Ephesians. There are craftiness. There are false philosophies and teachings that sit beneath the surface that are carrying you further and further away from Christ, further and further away from the gospel, and we want to not be carried away by them, but we need to be aware of them. We want to have a greater discernment of error. Don't be like children tossed to and fro by the waves, but be mature in Christ And this we get to do together as the people of God. We want to measure everything up against the Scriptures and what they teach. And to combat false teachings is a community project for us right now. In these days when there's so much falsehood floating around, we want to reinforce and encourage one another as the body of Christ to warn against false ideologies, to warn against false philosophies, but to help us go back again and again to the centrality of Christ and of the cross. For some of us, we're thinking, I'm all alone. And you feel that not just physically, but you think that spiritually, that God must not love you, and we need to correct those lies. You are not alone. God is your God. He is ever-present. He is your refuge and strength. Or for some, they think we're perhaps overreacting because we're operating out of fear. And I'm so helped when Pastor Jason said early on, we're not operating out of fear but out of love because we don't want so many others to catch this and to die. And we can quibble about what are the best strategies, but at the end of the day, Christians operate out of faith and not fear. Christians in crisis don't hoard, but we give sacrificially. Acts 4, 32 and 33, it talks about how the early church came together and all who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And what was the result of that? That type of living, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This is how Christians live in times of crisis. So let's not give in to watching the news and social media thinking we need to stockpile our resources, but rather, how can we serve? And we'll talk more about that later. If we were to translate Luke 3.11 
today, we might say, whoever has two, instead of tunics, two rolls of toilet paper, we are to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Our first aim is that we would increasingly grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Our second aim is that we would be able to discern error. And our third aim is that believers would increasingly resemble Christ. Look with me at 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This third aim of the body working together to build itself up is so that we would increasingly look more and more like Jesus. It says, grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We don't want to be childlike, but we want every member actively working together to build up the body in love that we might love one another, that we might continue to help one another flee false teaching. This is in contradiction to our individualistic, self-sufficient culture. We don't work individually for self-improvement, but we labor corporately for Christ-likeness. Paul calls the body to work together towards doctrinal faithfulness coupled with a Christ-like loving culture. Those two things are not at odds in Paul's mind. That we would be faithful to the scriptures, faithful to the gospel, not taken in by falsehoods and cultivating a culture where we build one another up, where we're mutually helping each other, where we are building ourselves up when every part is working together in love so that we increasingly resemble Christ. Those two things work hand in hand. They work together. And the church is God's main vehicle for bringing about this type of worldwide transformation that we long to see. Christ's church is joined to the head, working together in love so that we would build one another up. And so this morning I want to ask, are you praying for God to grow his church, to advance his kingdom in a time such as this? We're not to hit pause on life, but we're to pray all the more and create creative ways in which we can engage one another and others so that Christ would be exalted, so that the church would grow, so that we would increasingly resemble more and more like Jesus. And all of this is built upon a greater love than our own. It's built upon the love of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 2 says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? No one. And this is why we can love with an otherworldly love. This is why Christians, in the face of crisis and danger, we can love like Jesus. We can operate out of faith and not fear because Jesus is our only hope. We can say with the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we're not fearful, but we love in times such as this. We were given forgiveness while we were still sinners. Christ died for us while we still hated him and we've been rescued. So what I want to do now 
is transition us as we understand what the church is. The church is a body of people who've been gathered by Jesus. Each and every single member has been given gifts. You're not to be spectators, but we're to be engaged together in this work. And now he's given particular groups, leaders, apostles, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that we might increasingly look more and more like Jesus. We might be mature like Christ. How do we apply these truths in a time such as this? What I want to do is not kind of push you and encourage you towards all the normative things we might have suggested, like small groups and church membership and discipleship and giving and involvement in the local body. But what I want to do is equip you right now in the midst of our pandemic, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of all that is going on in our world. I want to give us a few pointers, a few applications that would help us live and be the church and to operate out of faith and not fear. So my burden is that we would be engaged in the work of ministry in these unique and unprecedented times. And I already know that this is the broad longing of those who call Bethlehem their home. I just got an email this week from a 71-year-old woman who said, how can I provide help? How can I provide practical assistance? And I'm thinking, you should probably stay home. But she's saying, I want to be helping others who might be in greater need. Or I sent out, an, we sent out an email, all the campuses sent out an email, asking people to sign up if they'd like to help. And I've received dozens and dozens and dozens of requests from people to say, we're ready. We're ready to provide spiritual help. We're ready to pray with people. We're ready to provide practical help. We're ready to run errands. We're ready to provide financial help even. I've heard from medical personnel who are working increased hours to meet the need in increasingly dire situations. And they're praying not just that they could provide medical help, but that they could provide spiritual hope in times such as this. And I know so many who are not worried, not at risk, and you're doing your part so that we don't spread it. And so I'm eager to see all of us more fully equipped in these days. What might God be pleased to do in and through his church if we all operated mainly out of faith and not out of fear? What would God be pleased to do if God's church was mobilized to pray like it never prayed ever before? That we would minister with evangelic evangelistic boldness unlike ever before, if we were eager to engage our neighbors unlike ever before, if we were reaching out to those in need unlike ever before, if we were calling those who are on the fringes of our church, on the fringes of society and saying, are, are you okay? Would we be more and more like Christ, look more and more like Jesus? How about we pray for God to bring reconciliation to broken families in days such as this, to reconcile estranged relationships and to wean us off of the idols of instant gratification, to wean us off the idols of control and power, to wean us off the idols of comfort so that we would trust alone in Jesus. So I have four groups of people in mind I want to give a word to this morning. First, a word for those who are exploring Christianity. I know that there are some and perhaps many this morning who are exploring Christianity. You're wondering, is there anything of 
substance that I can hold on to in times such as this. When I feel like I'm just being carried down the river of fear, down the currents of anxiety, is there anything that I can hold on to? Because I feel like I'm drowning. You're looking for answers. Is there any hope on the horizon? You're asking the question, is there any vaccine for the fear and anxiety that I feel? And the answer is yes, his name is Jesus. Jesus has come and he has brought hope and peace. He tells us that we live in a world of brokenness. We just get to see that brokenness a little bit more right now. If it were not a pandemic, it would be wars and rumors of war. It would be natural disasters. It would be our own indwelling sin and brokenness that we feel, isolation and depression and anxiety and whatever else. We know without a doubt that we live in a broken world. That is not the way that it ought to be. And yet the gospel tells us that this is not the end that there is a greater hope in Jesus Christ, that he has come, he has brought forgiveness of sins so that we could be reconciled to him and that we could be in relationship with our heavenly father, that we don't need to be estranged and isolated, but that we can be brought into the family of God and dwell in his light and have everlasting hope that transcends the hope of good health, that transcends the hope of a recovered stock market that transcends the hope of a comfort, comfortable family or good relationships. Jesus, in the midst of a storm, when he was walking here on earth, very literally cried out, peace, be still. And the thunder stopped, and the rain stopped, and the waves stopped and everything was still. And Jesus does that this morning to your heart. He says, peace, be still, and that we would find peace in Christ, hope. If you would surrender to him this morning and entrust your life to him, I promise you, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never disappoint, he will never fail, and he will never let you down. The second group I have in mind is a word for those who are fearful and anxious. Those who are feeling like my world is closing in on me. I can't stand all that I'm reading. And the Lord has a word for you this morning. And I'm going to a well-worn well. Fear not, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 was written for times exactly like the ones we're living in right now. Our God tells us to not fear. He is with us, he will sustain us, and he will be our God. Let me encourage us. Put God Almighty to the test. Put down your phones. Stop scrolling social media. Don't check the news constantly. And put your cares upon Christ. And he will show that he is sufficient to carry all of your burdens. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus says to every person who would come to him in days such as this. 
And I anticipate that some of our most effective evangelists will be born in the church in times exactly like this. Why? Fearful and anxious people who have found a hope in Jesus will be some of the best evangelists to other fearful and anxious people. You can say, I was feeling so overwhelmed, but when I brought these burdens to the Lord, he met me in them, and can I share with you the hope that I found in Christ? Oh, that fresh opportunities would give rise so that we would speak of the hope of Christ like we've never spoken of before. He will never disappoint. He will never let us down. Right now in the world, there's an oversupply of anxiety, and there's a shortage of hope, and yet our supply chain is intact. The Lord Jesus Christ gives us hope and peace so that we don't worry what happens to our bodies here and now. We don't worry what will happen in eternity, and we can overflow with the joy and delight in Christ and say, I'm not worried, but I know other people are, and so I want to point you to the Savior who can take all of your worries and give you all of the hope that you need in times such as this. If this goes on for two more weeks or 18 months, it doesn't matter. Jesus will be sufficient in times such as this. He will never let us down. Our supply chain of hope to the Lord Jesus Christ is never going to be broken. He will constantly supply more and more hope for those who are trusting in him. He will never let us down. Third group I have in view is a word for those who need help. I know some of you are watching alone and you feel more isolated than ever. And the body of Christ needs you to ask for help right now. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So perhaps your contribution to the body in a time such as this is to reach out and to say, I need help. I'm feeling so lonely. I'm feeling so afraid. I need someone to call me every day and pray with me. I, I I need help for someone to go out and run some errands for me, and I know I could probably do it, but I think I shouldn't. We need you to ask for help. If you fail to reach out for help, you rob the body of the opportunity to put our gifts at the disposal of building this body up. You rob this body of that opportunity to serve with the multitude of gifts that he's given us. So if you're prone to depression or isolation or battling fear or limited by your body, part of a vulnerable population or on the brink of an anxiety attack, please reach out to others from within the church. The church is precisely for a time such as this. Reach out to your small group. Reach out to your elders. Reach out to your friends and neighbors. This is an opportunity for us to put our gifts to use in serving one another. And the fourth group I have in view is a word for those who are eager to serve. Galatians 6.10 says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. There are fresh opportunities for us right now in these days to minister with the gifts and blessings that he's given us. If you have the gift of faith, your goal 
is to build up others' faith by lovingly, tenderly pointing them back to the promises of God in His Word. If you have the gift of service, this is the great opportunity to use those gifts in serving others. And oh, that we would all use our extra time not to binge watch shows, but to go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, that we would be a praying church in a time such as this, that we would be praying for our leaders, that we would be praying for those who are vulnerable, that we would be praying for our medical professionals, that we would be praying for those who are feeling isolated and alone, and that we would pray that new rhythms of rest and thanksgiving and of faith would be born in our families in a times such as this. Oh, that we would pray for revival to break out in these twin cities, in our own hearts, in our communities, and across this nation. Perhaps God would use COVID-19 to draw hundreds of people to himself. We've been getting stories of our global partners, many who are in vulnerable places, who either have needed to get out or can't yet get out. And we pray, would you join me in praying that God would blow open doors for fresh opportunities to speak the hope of Christ to a watching world. Oh, that God would bring revival in our own hearts, that we would put away sin, that we would flee the things that have plagued us for so many years, and that we would fall to our knees and pray and call out to God for mercy for greater faith, that we would trust him, that he would use us to build one another up for his glory and for the good of his church. And then we want to pray for business owners, employees, those who are feeling severely affected, many who have lost their jobs, that God would meet them and that we would minister to one another in unusual ways, counter-cultural ways. I know there's rumors of a massive bailout and checks going to perhaps every tax-paying family under a certain income amount, and how beautiful would it be if those who didn't need it would just give theirs to those who did. That's what the church would look like if it were mature and godly in times such as this. And I'm praying that for many of us, we're praying through how God would use us in times such as this. There's an interchange between Frodo and Gandalf in the Fellowship of the Ring where Frodo remarks to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf replies, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And I think for many of us, we feel that way. We'd prefer not to live through this type of crisis. But it's precisely in a crisis such as this that the church is God's instrument in the world, operating with his gifts, not out of fear, but out of faith, empowered, equipped to do the work of ministry, though we're not gathered but scattered, we can carry out that work and that we might give the world a visible testimony of how good it is to follow Jesus. Oh, that we would live in such a way that Christ would be made known, that Christ would get the glory, that Jesus would be on full display for all the world to see. I know many of us 
as we've read through the Bible, have gotten to Acts 2, Acts 4, and said, oh, I wonder what it would be like to live through those times. We'll never know. But in this time now, we have an opportunity as the church of God to devote ourselves to teaching, to prayer, to fellowship in different and creative ways, and then to testifying of the majesty and glory and hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. And so as I close, there was, there was a song that was circulating with a number of movie stars and celebrities singing the lyrics of John Lennon's song, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Don't imagine it for too long because it's a sad and depressing thought. No heaven, no hell, everyone living for themselves. But yet it's the people of God who have been equipped, who have been given gifts, who are operating out of faith and not fear. We have a singing faith in these days. We can sing louder, more boldly, with greater faith in these days because of what Christ has done. Because we don't fear what happens in this life and we don't fear what happens in the life to come. We don't worry whether the stock market ever recovers because our hope is not in that. We don't worry about what may come. We trust in Jesus. And so we can sing with hearts full of faith. We can sing this. Hallelujah. Praise the one who's set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, who is our living hope. So would you pray with me that we would be able to sing that from the depths of our soul and that we would look more and more like Christ and that we would magnify Jesus in days such as this. Join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that you would cause these truths to give us hope, to give us peace, to give us comfort, to give us boldness, to give us winsomeness. And would you lead and guide us, Lord? Fill us up so that we might be ready to love those who need Jesus. Empower us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.